takes a lot more courage to accept this vulnerability and to deal with it and to to develop a life and a system and a social system that supports this and grows within it than to put on this face and say i'm brave i don't cry because we all do Welcome to the webinar. We've, we've already been having quite a lot of fun conversation with us. And uh, we'll be, we're happy to note where you're joining us from, in which part of the world. So take on to the chat box. Do tell us where you're joining us from, how you're doing today. And while you write, please write for everybody. Some of our old known names. Should I say good morning? Should I say good afternoon? Dr. Vafi, welcome. Okay, so while our attendees are pouring in, <clears throat> why don't we introduce a little bit of what is going to happen today, which even our panelists don't know what. <laughs> so what we have done is we haven't planned anything for today, because what we are going to do is we're going to discuss a lot about creativity, keeping in line with our monthly theme. And my task is a little bit easier today because I have got two artists joining us, both Manmeet and Asha. Uh, within a moment, you'll get to hear from them in their own expression about themselves and so what we are going to try and figure out as coaches is what is an artist's way of creativity how does an artist define or understand or <clears throat> manifest creativity and try and take away something from that space for ourselves and for our clients so be ready with any curious questions, keep popping them in between so that we can uh, continue to ask Asha and Manmeet and make best use of the time we have together. So over to uh, Manmeet. <laughs> Let us know about you and uh, then to Asha. About me, my goodness. That's such a tough question to respond to. You want me to give you my LinkedIn profile or you want me to tell me my whole life. It's like, you know, uh, well, you can see I'm a poet. I'm not sure. I'm still in the making and still trying to discover myself as a coach, as a wellness coach, as a creator writing coach. And I think on the whole, I like to say that. I'm somebody who's trying to be myself and that's a journey I have undertaken and all sorts of things I'm dabbling with is helping me find myself. May it be art, may it be coaching, may it be writing, music, whatever. I can lay my hands on and try to find myself. Wow. Thank you. Aren't we all in making? Thank you for sharing that with us. Over to you, Asha. Thank you, uh, Komal. Uh, so much like Manmeet, I would say what I am is an ever evolving human being. Uh, but what I do, uh, among many things, is write. So I, I would say that I uh, perform uh, performance arts as well as literary arts. So I do performance arts as well as literary arts, but these are things that I do. Uh, I don't know if one can claim any title because in order to claim a title, one has to become, uh, one has to have accomplished the process of becoming. And I don't know how I can accomplish the process of becoming until I have become or I'm ever evolving. Um, therefore, whether my poetry, whether prose, whether dance, whether acting, uh, monologues, any of these uh, cohabiting uh, artistic forms, they all, are expressions of myself, but they're all things that I perform as well as inhabit. Um, 
and they do they do uh, they do give me a portion of myself. They do uh, elaborate a portion of myself to the world in terms of my communication and expression. Um, so that is all I can say. I'm an ever evolving being with multiple talents. Wow, oh, awesome. And I would say that you ladies have done uh, not too much of justice sharing about yourself. So allow me to share a little more. <laughs> and I would go to my uh, personal experience with both of you. So Asha, I've met in person. Uh, Manmeet, I haven't had a chance to meet in person, but I've had a chance to listen to you in person when you... Uh, were part of that poetry um, what was that um, event poetry. yes poetry meet and it was beautiful to listen to you especially talking about some other accomplished poet you know talking and expressing your own expression is something different but doing justice to somebody else's life and work is an altogether a different game and I think all our participants can see the pictures behind you and all the art behind you, which is your own creation. So I think everybody can guess that you have that remarkable depth of uh, creativity inside you. And Asha is not just a writer. She's a fantastic, fantastic theater artist, which I, at some point of time, would have dreamed to be in my life. I couldn't be. <laughs> So uh, there's a lot more, but I think let's just go on our own way and uh, explore what we get to explore. And just a little note for our participants. Oh, okay. All right. So the I was wondering that why I'm not seeing anything in the chat function. So there was a little glitch, which I sort of rectified. So now you can all put your comments or whatever you want to add in the chat box. Okay, so now the hellos are pouring in. Uh, one, another thing that I would like to share with all of you about Madmeet and Asha is that while they are both creative artists and they have their own choice of art to follow, they are both also in the areas of uh, uh, counseling, life coaching, and working with uh, mental health of and wellness of people and showing them that art can be such a powerful mode and mechanism for mental well-being, wellness, and a good health. And with that, I would like to go to Manmeet because Manmeet, I still remember you shared something about how art is not just about creating a drawing or painting or a poem, but it's about the whole life. So what's your view on that? Why don't you share a little bit on that? So Komal, my own personal journey has begun by writing for healing and not really to become a poet per se or have a certain goal in my head. So I have lived what I have said, if you have heard that from me ever, that for me, um, right from when the teenage starts playing havoc on your mind, when family relations, when your own identity is all confusing, writing has come to my rescue. So I have made a sense of life of myself through words. And I don't know any other way. I don't know how I would have survived without expressing myself on paper. And it may be absolutely uh, incoherent poetry at that time, kiddish to say so, but it gave me a lot of solace. It gave me a lot of uh, direction. It helped me uh, have self-validation, self-assurance. And then of course, um, I began relying on the big poets for what they have said all their life and that's been my support system and uh, now that I have got uprooted from my home country and landed in Canada it's again poetry which has come 
by my side, supporting me, helping me uh, really sustain all the ups and downs. And um, I think language is a double-edged sword. It helps you make sense. It also makes you overanalyze. It's contradictory in itself, but so far I haven't figured out another way. You know, once I wrote that once you write a poem, somehow you feel the feelings get uh, suffocated in the walls of the words. You know, they want to come out. And that's the reason why we are still writing and there'll probably never be a last poem on this earth. Because the moment you trap the feeling in words, it wants to again fly out in the open without having a concrete shape. But if not that, I don't know what else so far. Wonderful. And I resonate quite well with what you've said about writing and healing, because I share a similar experience of when a certain point in my life, I mean, I'd always admired poetry. I've always admired whole lot of poets that I got to know about and songwriters and lyricists and all. But then there was a certain point of time in my life when poetry was just starting to flow through me and I was both relieved and amazed. And I agree absolutely with what you said that there are certain emotions, there are certain feelings buried inside us that are just trying to find a way to come out. And sometimes poetry or writing becomes that way uh, for the words to flow. And I still feel mesmerized that in what way they get woven and that they flow out. And, you know, so that's why poetry is like very, very divine uh, form of expression for me. You don't need too many words, actually. You don't need too much of language to express what you're feeling, and it's so easy. Uh, taking it to you, Asha, you are also a poet and you write and you've published two of your books recently, which have become like top sellers. And, but I don't want, to ask about poetry from me. I want to ask about the other different expression of theater. Hmm. How did that come to be with you? And, and what about that sort of expression that you would like to share with us? So that's always a very difficult question because I don't know how any sort of art form, it doesn't matter what art form came to me. I have a feeling from my, my experience and experience of experiences, varied experiences with other people that I've talked to, that these are things that are inherent. Of course, there is a skill that is to be learned and developed and, and uh, continuously uh, you, you can learn over, you can improve upon over, over a period of years. Uh, however, there is a certain inherent interest and there's a certain inherent knowing that, um, it, 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 that, that, will, that will take you that will automatically take you. It's, it's not a thought process that, that goes into, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, whatever happens in life, you will automatically revert to a certain form of expression that is inherent to your being. So like Manit and you, uh, both of you said, there were phases in your life when you, when you uh, moved, naturally moved towards a resource of writing. It's something mm -hmm. that came inside of you. Similar, uh, similar uh, to my experience. So is uh, theater. And and on a on a lighter note, my my mother will attest to this that I've always been dramatic. I've always been a drama queen. <laughs> uh, a little too dramatic for her taste. Uh, however, that that is how I dealt with any situation, whether it was funny, whether it was serious, whether it was at home, whether it was in school, where, wherever. I tended to move. Uh, there, there tended to be something that came from within me that expressed itself in a dramatic form. So I, I might, uh, you know, I, I would have gone on to some certain speeches or I just, you know, lighten the mood by, by, by being comedic about it, by being mimical about it, uh, whatever, whatever the form of expression. 
and it started at an age where I didn't even know what drama or theater meant. It was, uh, it was much later in life that I actually started training for it, uh, for acting for screen or for stage. Uh, so any so sort of artistic expression, any sort of expression in general, I think uh, for most human beings is, is inherent. It may not be apparent uh, at, at some certain ages. Uh, also, it has a lot to do with nurture. So depending on the environment that one is nurtured in, uh, certain things lay dormant until there is an opportunity for it to go like, oh, well, we're in an environment where we can show ourselves, woohoo! And so all of those emoticons, you know, inside inside our brains just decide to jump up. And it's also, also uh, you know, it depends on the uh, person's uh, uh, maturity levels. Certain things, certain parts of our brains uh, grow faster or develop more at a certain age and that differs from person to person. So uh, somebody may have a, a performance artistic skill, but that for one person that may be more highly developed at six, and for the next person, even if they are siblings growing in the same same household, same parents, same everything, it may develop, it may be more highly developed at 13. So you will find similar skills or skill sets or similar artistic expressions, but then also depending on the nature, nurture, it might be like, oh, by the time it is developed, the person already has this conditioned knowledge, whether right or wrong, that, oh, this is not important to my life. And therefore they go more into academics, they go more into certain other professions. And, and so it may take much longer uh, for it to push out of their system and be expressed. So far as I have seen in my life though, if it is inherent to your to your being, it will be expressed. At some point, it will it will push itself out. You cannot help it. And so, as much as I, I as much as I tried to uh, immerse myself in my business career, it came out. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think quite a lot of the coaches on the panel would connect to it. So one question that I have for all our participants is, while you are doing whatever you're doing in your life, and also training to be coaches or coaching, what do you think is your form of expression or your dormant art, whether it is dormant or whether you're practicing it? We would love to see what is your choicest form of expression or art. Do put that in the chat box while we go on to our next question of. So we established that all of us have that little artist within us. And depending upon the situation circumstances, whether it, it is nurtured to come out early or it goes and take the back seat. So what in your opinion sort of enables or hinders that inner artist? Who is the question to? Both of you, anybody who wants to take it first. <laughs> uh, so from your experience, what enabled you or what posed a challenge in front of you? Um, I think uh, Komala Asha has to some extent already answered this question when she says that we all are victims of our conditioning. Hmm. So I think the system is such that we are born into being told what to do. That's the first mistake we make. And even before we find who we are, we are told this is right, that is wrong. And this is good, that is bad. This is the path to success. This is the path to failure. There are so many binaries, so many bifurcations, so much of dichotomies out there. And even before you get in touch with your creative side, you already are conditioned in so many ways. And with conditioning comes fear. Hmm. And I think you've got to be really, really courageous to be creative. You have to really be yourself. It's an act of courage more than an act of skill as it's quite prevalent, the idea that, oh, you need to be trained to be an artist. I think it's was the act of courage. And our system, sadly, is not producing fearsome children who are fiercely okay with who they are and what they want to do. And 
everything is so strongly associated to an outcome. And sorry, creativity doesn't have immediate outcomes, not even tangible outcomes. And what to do with the world, which is so heavily sitting on outcomes. So um, I think we kill a lot even before it is even a bud. And as Asha said, but one way or the another in time to come, it's gonna force itself out. And it does, you cannot hold it. It's like being pregnant with it and you have to deliver otherwise it's gonna bleed you. And um, once you begin to deliver, then of course, you know, the beauty of creation, the joy of creation, and then there's no stopping. But are we allowing ourselves? Are we allowing children? When I say children, I treat you, Asha, myself as children. You know, we were once children. And we are now broken adults, you know, children who had some sort of a brokenness and we are trying to um, fulfill it through art. But are we giving our children enough space to really get in touch with their creative side and not put that pressure of outcome or charting the path for them? not feeding them and not really raising them in a space where it's okay to not have it the way the world is having it. To really be an odd one now, to stand alone, to really um, keep trying those thousands of ways the way Edison did to really finally invent a bulb. Are you ready to give the various bulbs lighting in your head to give that chance? Yeah, thank you for that. I think courage is definitely an important point in that aspect. Are we actually enabling the courage? And I remember in one of the conversation where Asha also sort of brought a point of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which Absolutely. seems to be just, just a little different dimension of courage. Say to that Asha, what was your idea? Absolutely, I think, uh, so I, I will start with vulnerability and then move on to a more uh, more uh, practical uh, and, and tangible system, systemic view from the world. Uh, but vulnerability, uh, uh, in order to embrace that, again, we need courage. So what, is, what has happened in, what seems to have happened in the world is uh, this sort of machismo, uh, worldview, not just, not just relegated to, to the, the male uh, person, but, but the entire worldview has, has uh, succumbed to this sort of, you know, I have to be brave, I have to be, uh, uh, so I have to put on a farce. And, and, and bravado, bravado has uh, become synonymous with, uh, with putting on a face. Whereas, True bravery is in accepting true bravery. It takes a lot more courage, and we're going back to the word courage. It takes a lot more courage to accept our vulnerabilities and somebody else's vulnerabilities, especially that of those you love, especially that of your partner, your parents, your children, your friends, your siblings, your whoever else is important in your life. It takes a lot more courage to accept this vulnerability and to deal with it and to to develop a life and a system and a social system that supports this and grows within it than to put on this face and say, I'm brave, I don't cry. Because we all do. Every, every man, woman, and, and non-binary person uh, does, does do that. We, we do feel emotion. But when we're not able to accept and go into that space where we are, where we feel, where we feel to the depth and we are not able to tap into that depth of feeling, then we're just being shallow. We are actually afraid that bravado is actually fear. Fear of going and touching what is here, touching that fire, touching that coal, touching that ember, touching whatever lava is there. And yes, it is painful, but out of that pain, out of that chrysalis will form this beautiful butterfly. And we just have to go to that, go through that process. And that requires guts, that requires courage. So in, in most artists' opinion, 
the most, the bravest thing we can do is to get in touch with our vulnerable self. And that is also de facto, the most creative form of, or the highest self or, the, or a higher self. I wouldn't say highest because that will also evolve, but a higher self of ourselves, a higher understanding, a deeper understanding, a higher self, a higher growth, intellectual, emotional quotient of ourselves. And from there, the creativity that flows is inexplicable. It is incomparable to, to anything else that we can do just from a, a, a shallow intellectual understanding. I can, I can learn by rote as much Wordsworth and Keats as I want and try to, uh, try to uh, uh, mimic that. But they wrote, or any, any poet or any writer or any artist, uh, even as a theater artist, when we want to go to a space, uh, and I'm doing a play right now, which requires me to cry on stage, I need to go to a place which will make me cry. And, I, and the, the audience has to be convinced that it is me crying. I, it, it is not a character. It is the character. But it is still the person who's playing the character that is crying that has to reach that space because this is about communicating. It is about conveying, uh, the story is about conveying a message, about conveying an emotion. And there is no point if we are not able to convey. So no matter what artistic form we're doing, we're taking, there has to be a conveyance. There has to be a, uh, a sending, there has to be a receiving, and there has to be uh, that going back and forth between whoever is in that, in that sphere of influence and sphere of communication. Now, the other aspect of this is the world has become so profit oriented because historically arts was integral to the society. If we go back to monarchs, there were court jesters, there were court uh, artists within the courts who told the truth in their poetry, in their jokes, in their art. They were the politicians or they were the political influences. I wouldn't say they were the politicians, sorry, but they were the political influences in those times. They were the most influential. There were patrons, the monarchs were patrons of the arts in most, uh, most uh, old civilizations. And why were they patrons of the arts? Because the arts were, were the mirror of the society but it takes a very deeply matured individual or matured human psyche to accept what we are showing them or what anyone is showing them. If I'm showing myself a mirror and I show there is this dark side that needs to be remedied, I have to have the maturity to accept that there is this dark side. And so we, we seem as, as a social circle of human beings to have devolved instead of evolved into a very superficial uh, sort of society, super, super superficial beings where we only want to be here and we are brave because we're putting on a face and we're not touching this level and, and to help with human psyche and involvement as long as we're making profit in terms of money and we can buy more and more stuff to, uh, to fill the void that we're feeling because this is the void. Here's, here's what we need to touch. And this void, we're trying to fill with stuff, but it's never going to be filled. This is so much resonating with me. And I'm sure a lot of coaches in the audience would also resonate that most of the times, the people that we meet, sometimes very senior leadership, leaders in corporate and executives who've achieved a lot in life. And some little change will just put them in such a rigmarole or still they would have this lack of contentment within them or not knowing that like who I really am despite having achieved so much as per the world's norms, despite holding all the tangible signs and symbols of achievement in life. And still so much of dissonance within still not knowing you know what's the way forward and what am I doing in life and some are so afraid of even asking themselves this question like who really I am and what am I doing and where am I really going uh, apart from the hierarchies of the organization 
situations. So in a way, it feels to me like we are always sitting in front of people with so much of potential, like everybody is seeking and wanting to find out what is their art and how to be in this world, right? And what sort of artist they would like to be, but just not knowing or not having the courage to go to those vulnerable sides and, you know. So I'm just asking a question and, and to you for the fact that, because you have gone through the process within your own journey and you have brought yourself and I'll continue to do that. What would you say to us or what would you say to all of those people who are in charge of helping people find that courage? to tap into their vulnerability. How can they use this creativity or how can they use this knowledge that, that yes, when you become vulnerable or when you embrace your vulnerability, there is a lot more possible for you that you reach your creativity. How would you approach that? Like what can we really do with our clients or with any people or with our children or with our partners? I think the first uh, step would be the disassociation, what Asha brought up that everything is for profit here. So in order to even step into the territory, uh, that disassociation is important. Otherwise you're doing everything for a result, for a profit. So you just said that uh, you're sitting in front of somebody and you see a lot of potential. How do you even make that person realize that, oh my goodness, there is a potential. But what if that person is measuring his potential with the numbers he's producing in the company? Oh, my salary is so-and-so and I'm producing and this and this, this. And he looks at you like a fool out there. What have you on? Oh, 10 poems, okay, a book, oh, three paintings. Oh my goodness, people tell you, bring a smile to them. Okay, fine, goodbye. <laughs> How do you really call something valuable? So it's, you know, the way Asha said, some of the political leaders, the people who had a lot of uh, gold, um, they were sharing that with the artists so that they can bring out the beauty of the community because they understood that even they are producing gold and they were sharing it with them. And probably also there was some amount of acceptance of that maybe I am digging gold here, let them dig gold there, you know. So now in this society, the pressure is on us. The artist has to survive him or herself. And so that whole pull and push where you're doing a job to sustain yourself as well as you keeping the artist going. And, uh, you know, I think that's the first step where the society, the community begins to disassociate itself from there. And also um, the definition of creativity or being an artist itself has to undergo a change. So when you say that there's a leader of the company sitting out there, he doesn't need to go out there and paint and write poetry to be an artist. He can be an artist in the very way he's handling his organization. The very way the person enters his office and says, how are you doing today? Giving a moment of listening to that person. I think coaches are artists themselves and a leader is an artist himself because he's dealing with people and people are art. They're pieces of art walking on earth. How do you set your table? Where will you place the picture? How do I set my wall? It, it's, 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 it's very important to me where I'm sitting and walking. Hmm. How do you write that email? How do you pick up the phone and greet someone? How do you hmm. smile at someone? How you, the way you talk to the person who's serving you food on the table, how are you really sitting holding hand with someone? Everything is creativity. Everything is art. If we start living that art in every moment, we'll be a creative world and not probably so unhappy. I, I think we're talking a lot about wellness and Asha is telling us that gap. Oh, it's horrible, that gap. And probably this is the reason why we are so unhappy. We just don't want to touch our vulnerabilities. We are like sitting here and also applauding ourselves for sitting here. We got to applaud 
when we touch here, when it burns here, and when uh, when we really can be there. And you know, imagine how much salary a person earns who creates happiness for others, and a person who's prob probably producing a product. I I see a huge gap here. I think I'll hand it over to Aksha. I've said a lot. Thank no, you. I. And just before Asha takes up, I think you've raised some of the very, very important questions and you did a sort of a reframing, which happens quite a lot in coaching is that look at people, not just as numbers or resources, but the walking and talking pieces of art, the possibilities, the, you know, abundance. So that's quite beautiful. And to ask ourselves a question, what really do we value? And what is the value of what we value? Yeah, great, um, Asha, it's all yours. Thank you, you guys have uh, really just sort of uh, built that foundation so strong. Um, there would just be a few things that I'd like to uh, build on top of what you've already uh, so easily built for me and created uh, that, uh, the, there are certain uh, certain mindsets that we can practically uh, enable ourselves to do. Yes, there is a whole uh, lot of institutional change that has to take place. Yes, there's a whole lot of systemic change that has to take place. But as an individual, if we start within ourselves, uh, we will actually see the systemic change. Um, so one of the things that we can do is, is turn fear into excitement. So when we feel fear, we feel a certain tingling sensation. Most, most of us, uh, sometimes the tingling will, will differ in location, but most of us feel a certain tingling, what we call butterflies in our, in, our, in our gut. But when we're excited, then also we feel tingling or, or butterflies in our gut. So if we take that feeling of fear, and try to reproduce or reform our thinking into thinking that, okay, yes, we do feel fear as human beings, we need to have, we need to have flight or uh, uh, fight. Uh, we need to have those reactions because otherwise we'll fall into uh, trouble. But we need to be able to distinguish, is this fear as in, yeah, don't, don't put your hand into fire or into boiling water because that will burn your hand and that is, uh, you know, or is this apprehension? Or is, is this reasonable? Is this unreasonable? Can we at that point of time take one step, one tiny step back and start becoming objective, start becoming logical? Uh, yes, I'm stepping away from the whole emotional aspect of art, but it, it is, it is, uh, it is uh, a fallacy to think that artists are not logical. It is a complete fallacy because in order to create a story, we have to have logical aspects put into it. Uh, and don't go by Jason Bourne movies. Yes, there's logic in that. But, but it, you know, there, there are certain things that are created to make profit and to, for complete mindless entertainment. But uh, in order to create something that is meaningful, that connects, we have to have logic in it. And it has to have a high, a very high level of emotional quotient. And in order to reach that high level of emotional quotient, there has to be a high level of intelligence, intellectual ability. And that requires logic. And so at that point of time, when we feel this fear, like, okay, I, I am afraid, right? I'm, I'm, I'm having a panic attack. And yes, I'm not going into the medical aspects of it. There are whole medical aspects. I'm not a medical uh, practitioner, but what other things can you do? Can you breathe? Can you do this very simple step of breathing in for six counts, holding for three counts and breathing out for eight counts? And can you start journaling and saying things like, these are the logical aspects of this issue that I'm actually dealing with. These are the hyperventilating thoughts that come into my mind. Are they actually ever going to happen? Maybe not, most likely not. 90% of things that we are afraid of are actually never, never going to happen, that we worry about. But that, that distinction is very important. And once we understand the distinction and we throw away into, the, into some sort of depth that we can never recollect from the, the things that don't 
matter or the things that are never going to occur, we are left with the logical problems. There are actual problems. We're left with those logical problems. Now those, where did we get them from? Where did the fear attached to that come from? They might be circumstances, but where did the fear, once we understand the fear attached to that has come from some sort of conditionings, from some, something somebody told us or something that we've made ourselves believe, that is the point of touching the vulnerability. Mm. It's not recognizing the, the problem. Recognizing the problem is a logical aspect. The point of touching the vulnerability is understanding where the fear of that comes from. And then that is what we need to deal with because the problem, all problems in life as we know somehow or the other with, without help, with or with help, with some, somehow we will deal with it. But what happens to our sort of, oh my God, I'm so anxious, I'm so this, I, I can't sleep. The stress, I need to eat or I need to do something else. And you know, it's not a healthy lifestyle. And what happens to all of that? That comes from something that is far deeper within our psyche. And touching that is the vulnerable point. So to understand that when we touch that, there will be pain, there will be lava, there will be fire, but from that will grow some uh, a healed part of us that will be far more creative, far more productive, far stronger, and far more worthy of this beautiful life that we have with all of its problems and stresses, but this beautiful life that we have and we will be far more useful to the society and our family and our community, that should give us excitement. And therefore, our fear has turned to mm. That's such a, such a wonderful point. And thank you for saying that art is not just about heart. It's also about mind. Because that's a very, that's a myth, that's a fallacy, which we all sort of go towards and believe like there is no other logical reason to it, right? Whereas if we look in the history, you know, how is art, art possible without an integration of your heart and mind, actually? Yes, artists feel like, you know, they are very heart-oriented or focused person because they have brought themselves to that integration that expressing what's in heart is no longer a challenging aspect to it. And that cannot be possible without the mind and heart integrating and coming together and sort of working together. Because the heart doesn't feel lonely. Heart feels always supported. And so it can say what it wants to say. So it's like that integration sort of creates the space for your heart to show up, for your creativity to come out, for your intuition to come out and all of that. I see quite a lot of reframing happening in today's session and it sort of ties in so beautifully with what as coaches we are supposed to do, you know. So thank you for both of you for bringing out all of these things. One, having a view of or seeing people as the artists and second is not thinking that, oh, art is something about just heart and no mind is involved in it. I think that's that's something very, very beautiful for me. And uh, so I am li listening, reading into some of the comments that it's very powerful conversation. Thank you so much. And some people have also shared that they're, uh, they love to paint, they're singers, guitarists. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, please do put in if you have any further questions that are showing up to you, like, uh, but one thing which I want to ask was a fear, and I want to share first and then ask. So I've been very fond of uh, glass and pottery, and they break. <laughs> they're bound to break. They are breakable. <laughs> and one day, uh, so in my house, I on the wall there was this wooden uh, panel on which I'd put all my cups and glasses and everything. I don't know how but for some reason one day it just fell all the crockery and glass sort of broke and I was like oh my god shattered and then everybody's like why do you even buy this they are breakable they can hurt and now why don't you use steel why don't you use metal something I said 
Well, I like them for the fact that they are breakable, that they can break. It's all right, but I just like them, right? So when you said that how the world has come to become so productivity oriented, so utility oriented, that you say, okay, have something, you know, which is durable, which is long lasting, which will never perish. That ideology too, and what I heard from both of you talking about the courage, talking about the vulnerability is to come to an acceptance that nothing is long lasting, nothing is forever, nothing is everlasting. Yes. So what do you have to say for that, to be able to accept the fact that everything is perishable? I think it's not just in the perishability of it, but it's also in the brokenness of the, the, the beauty of fragility. So if we see in this world, again, I keep trying to, uh, because this is a panel of, uh, of uh, I mean, not panel, this is an uh, attendee list of coaches and professionals. I, I, I keep trying to come back to something, uh, something practical that people can take away. If we see in this world, we always tend to care more for things that are fragile. So infants, newborns are, are the creatures that, or whether human or uh, animals or whatever, or plants or saplings, are what we always care for the most. It should show that by nature, we are geared towards loving and towards protecting fragility. So we do find, by nature, we find uh, a sort of beauty, a sort of uh, inclination and proclivity to loving that which is fragile. Then as we grow up, why do we, why do we deprive ourselves of that love? Why do we deprive ourselves and our fellow beings of, of, of the precautiousness that we, we afford fragile things or fragile beings. Because by nature, that is not, we don't, we don't take an infant lightly. We don't just carry an infant, throw it up in the air and go like, ah, whatever. No, we are very careful. And we, when they smile, when babies smile or when puppies snuggle up to us, it makes, it makes us very happy by nature, whether or not we like it. When a plant flowers for the first time, it, it is beautiful. And, and most of us can relate to that. So by nature, this is our nature. Yet when we, when we start relating to people in an office environment, we start, or our professional environment or societal environment, we, 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 we deliberately deprive ourselves and each other of that beauty, of that love. And it speaks to something way within us. It speaks to, it speaks to an inability or a fear within us going back to reach that vulnerable self of ours, to love that fragility in the other person. Because if we love the fragility in the other person, we have to accept the fragility within us and we are not willing to be broken. And, and this is the truth. Whether or not we like it, this is the truth. And so as human beings, if we if we afford ourselves the same love, the same precociousness, the same beauty, and the same understanding that we do all of our lives, of course, we have to mature. It's not to say that we will keep babbling and never learn full sentences. I mean, that is a whole different thing. Intellectual ability has to grow by itself. But if within a, the maturity level and, and uh, uh, commensurate with the maturity level, if we afford ourselves the precociousness, the beauty, and the fragility that we, we should have, then we will all tend to be far more emotionally, uh, emotionally higher and spiritually higher beings where we accept each other and where intolerance can actually be eradicated because we will accept each other and accept, first of all, accept ourselves. The main problem comes with not accepting ourselves. And when we can't accept ourselves for who we are, we tend to live in a, in a farce and then we can't accept others because how can we afford somebody else the same uh, uh, freedom that we're not affording ourselves, right? So in order to accept brokenness, it, it is a very difficult thing to do in, in our 
in our profit-oriented society, but it is something that we can do if as individuals we change, then we can go to the highest levels of society, of govern governance, of ruling, and we can change this whole artistry. I mean, artist life dependent on government funding, uh, uh, artist life dependent on so on charity. You know that kind of a that kind of a systemic change can be brought about where where artists and art in its art can be developed for the sake of art. Art can be developed for the sake of community. Art can be art can be incorporated into the health system. Art uh, and it, it will actually. If there are, if there's anybody in the health field here, it will actually bring down the spending on health, because it will bring down the spending on mental health. It will bring down the spending on blood pressure-related things. It will bring down the spending on diabetic, uh, diabetes-related things. It will bring down the spending on a lot of things. So even yeah. as politicians, as people in the health system, if incorporating art is actually profitable. But we don't think of that in that system. And of course, if we revert to, to, or if we look at the Japanese people, the Japanese art, I forget what that particular art form, one of you perhaps can help me out. Yeah, where, where we actually put together the broken parts of, yeah. of a broken vase or, or a ceramic thing or a, or a pottery or whatever <laughs> broke in your, in your house, Komal, with, with, gold, with mm. golden glue and silver glue and things. And it actually becomes far more beautiful. Yeah. And stronger. And yeah, stronger. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to um, say something which I'm burning to say because Asha's beautifully planted so many points on the path here. Um, one is, of course, the profitability thing. She says that how beautifully you said, Asha, that you are actually incorporating art would make lives better and bring down all the so-called costs we're trying to save. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm afraid I may digress, but I really want to say that somewhere when Asha says that we protect the infants, we protect the fragile, we take care of the beauty, but how come we don't do it? Or as you said, Komal, that why do we are afraid of the perishable? I think it's so much of our fear of being broken. We are so much trying to protect ourselves that we are investing at places which will last. And maybe relationships, you see why marriage came into being. Something which is secure, which can last forever. And it's proven to be a biggest myth. You know, marriages are surviving on paper and not really in hearts. And um, may it be a corporate job where you sign a job assignment, but are your loyalties with the organization? Is your heart there? Are you picking up a nylon-based cloth or a cotton, which is going to fade away when it gets washed? So good cotton is allowing you to breathe. It's allowing your skin to breathe. Mm -hmm. It's going to tear away. It's going to fade away. But uh, what are you uh, investing? Something which is durable, which will, you know, per se give you return on investment for a longer run. And uh, I think this whole psychology of return of, on my investment is so becoming um, the norm of the day that we have forgotten about the little joys. So if even if you fall in love for a day or even for an hour, spend an evening with someone beautifully, does that make it any less beautiful than any other relationship? No, it doesn't. Probably those are the moments you remember the most in your life. With a friend, it need not really be a romantic relationship with a friend, with a dog, with a cat, with a child, with those little moments which are so-called perishable, which are not going to last forever, are the moments you're going to remember the most on your deathbed. Or probably when you're really down and out and you'll recall those moments and they fuel you with energy and they'll bring the faith in life back. So I think this is a complete... Um, it's very much blamed that the artists live in a make-believe world, in a fantasy world. I think I'll really like to question the other world. Are you living in a true world? Nothing is everlasting. Nothing is going to last forever. You yeah. are trying to create a world which is not organic. And the more you go that side, the more you are away from the true nature of a person, from who you are. And um, let's, let's, let's 
change, reverse our gears and bring down all the cost we are incurring around us. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's the, that make-believe is actually the reality because that aligns to this cyclical uh, reality of the nature. You know, no season lasts forever. It changes. So you got to change with that and you got to be okay with the change. Whereas quite a lot of times we try to put in systems in place which will ensure permanence, ensure, uh, you know, that, oh, we know everything, like we are prepared for everything in advance instead of just flowing with the change, having this inner ability to align with the nature and its various cycles. Someday if you're feeling sad, feel sad, completely, totally, and be okay with it. And someday when you are joyful, go all out, jump, dance, have fun, and be, be okay with it. But we somehow have gotten into that space of like, oh, no, 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 there has to be some sort of a linearity to the whole thing. That takes me to this one question which somebody's popped up in the chat box, like what mindset do you advise to optimize creativity in our coaching sessions? Let me elaborate it more, not just in coaching sessions. What mindset do we advise to optimize creativity in our lives in general? I think it's key to understand what creativity means to that individual, right? For me, for instance, I can I can appreciate and I do appreciate visual art. There are visual artists in my life, uh, in my family, and I appreciate it very much. It's something I enjoy thoroughly, and I can sit in an art gallery and look at a painting for hours on end. Uh, but I can't paint. Uh, my mother is a is a wonderful gardener, and I remember somebody uh, telling her that uh, I uh, me I kill plants. So somebody told her, "Oh, you you are so good at gardening, and uh, you know your daughter kills plants." So my mom, uh, one of her rare moments of jocularity, she said, yeah, I have a green thumb, she has a sore thumb. <laughs> so <laughs> so th there are different forms of art that each of us, and we may all enjoy all of it. I enjoy all of it. I enjoy somebody's beautiful garden, but I don't, I don't know how that comes to being because every time I try, it just goes like, eh, I don't wanna grow in your garden. I'll go to Kumbu's garden and grow there. Uh, no, so, no, I have two thoughts, sore thumbs, <laughs> can well, assure you. <laughs> my mother revives, she's a plant whisperer. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I, I can't. But at the same time, you give me any role to play. I mean, I, I'm actually, uh, I wouldn't say phobia, but I don't like crowds. Having said that, you put me on stage and there are, are, are like 500 people out there. I never do the thing of looking above people's eyeline. I want to see the eyes. I want to see those people and seeing people in the audience and watching them seeing, looking back at me, feeds me with the sort of insane energy to perform and to convey emotion and to get draw them into this world of, of uh, emotion where we can possibly create a change as, as human beings and evolve even if it is one uh, one iota of measure, whatever it is that we change for the better from that play or from that movie or from whatever we do uh, or from that poem or story. And it is, it, you know, it, it is integral for me and it is, it is easy for me to do that. And, and, and so I think as, as a coach or maybe as a, just a human being, we need to find what is the art that is inherent within us. Some people cook some people are amazing cooks. They, they can just go there and they just do whatever and it can, comes out. That is art. Presentation is art. Presentation of oneself. There is some lady that uh, I forget her name that I, I, I used to follow. Um, just the way she dresses and, and that's how her whole profession is. She teaches, she's what do you call it? An image, image uh, guide or right. image coach. Yeah. And, and that is her art form. The, she knows what to pair with what. She knows what to, what color and what uh, what fabric. And yes, image consultant. Thank you, Priyanka. Uh, what what whatever to you know hairstyle to go with what for what occasion. And that is her art form. So and even people who can pair foods with each you know I I I never thought of pairing fruit with with uh, uh, you know meals. 
uh, for me, fruit was always different and meals were different and dessert was different. Uh, but I did eat a Moroccan dish where fruit was paired with, with uh, food that I considered part of a meal. And oh my goodness, that was amazing. And that to me, that person is an artist because they changed me for the better in terms of my uh, taste or in terms of my food, uh, food dietary uh, uh, practices for the better. Hmm. So what I hear you say is that openness and respect for the diverse forms of expression and art that we all have and not getting in that space of, oh my God, I want to be like that. Instead, what is my unique way of expression? Allowing ourselves that space. Like, yes, having appreciation for everything, but also having a focus on what is significant about me? How do I express myself? So, yes. yeah, so that takes a lot of openness and uh, a very curious mindset also to, to look within self and say that, okay, if that person is good at it, what am I good at? Yeah. And be absolutely okay with all the other things that we are not good at. Instead of sitting and getting ourselves down the burden of, oh, I'm not good at this and good at that and that. Yeah. And also mm -hmm. not comparing style. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Manmi. There's just one, one quick thing. Also not comparing styles. Uh, so for instance, I'll give an example, uh, uh, going to poetry or, or even theater. Somebody's, a certain era's art form, a certain era's uh, uh, style or a certain person's style may not be my style. That does not negate the importance of either style. And I may not be able to appreciate heavy metal music, which I don't, but that does not negate the importance of that music because it speaks to entire groups and communities and generations of people. So yeah. to understand that one style does not have to does not have to compare to another style within the same uh, genre of art or within the same form of art, it does not have to compare. You do not have to compare. There is a space, there is a time, there is a, uh, an audience, uh, and and this may be speaking to my marketing uh, background. There is an audience, uh, a target audience for everything. Yeah. So if you have your target audience. That audience may be very different from the one that I'm catering to or my style is catering to. So we don't have to compare as you're better or I'm better or oh, oh she's so much better. Or, I, why can't I write like her? Why can't I act like her? No. We each have to evolve in our own spheres and we have to just think of getting better within our own spheres and not compare to each other. So that, that, is, a, that is a trap that I find a lot of artists fall into or performers. I wouldn't say true artists, but performers tend to fall into that uh, Coaches also, when they ask the question that which niche I should pick, pick what comes from within. <laughs> uh, over to you, Manmeet. And then yeah, we will conclude a, the session. Yeah, yeah. I think we are running out of time. It doesn't look like we spent an hour. So adding to this kind of um, comparison, as Asha is saying, the one is comparison to others. There's also some imaginary yardstick and parameter of perfection we have in our mind which we are constantly comparing. So please, um, the way being perishable is the truth of life. There is no such yardstick. It's a game, a fantasy, a myth. And that yardstick can be our self-created. It can amount from the amount of stuff people have done around us. But we have some sort of that measure going on in our head, which doesn't allow us to explore our creative self. So knock that over really, really start like an infant. Even today for me, coming into this webinar itself is kind of an infant step for me to some extent. I'm going to speak out on creativity impromptu without any questions being given to me, without anything being said to me. And maybe one day if I go and give a TED talk, it may be another infancy level for me. It, and every piece of my poetry, I start out as a little, little girl, a really, really two-year-old girl. I allow myself to make mistakes. It need not be perfect. It need not get a wow from the way my mom used to say, I used to put one step and she says, wow, 
you know, she'll wipe my face. Oh, my child ate so well today. Wow. You're not going to get those wows all the time. So really, really put aside all those validations and wows and perfections away. Be playful in life. Go play it out fully before this life gets over. Your job is to play here and not to create something perfect here. It doesn't exist. Rabindranath Tagore on his deathbed said, I'm yet to write my best song. Like, what are we even talking about? Stay yeah. Enjoy yourself. Wow. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been so insightful, so beautiful. I totally agree with all the things our participants are putting in the chat box, inspiring and insightful. Sriram said that after a long day's work, it's, it's just uh, feels like I'm in a different world. <laughs> I would encourage and invite all of everybody to intentionally put yourself in this different world of art and artists because that's like the nectar of life, which will keep us really grounded, really much more practical and much more closer to our own self. And thank you, Asha and Manmi, for taking time. And it's been so beautiful. Thank you thank so you. much, Komal and Asha and all those who are with me. I can't see you, but I can, you know, I feel your energy. It's been so invigorating for me. It's, you know, we forget all this, what we are saying. It's kind of telling myself, reminding Reminder. myself again and again. Uh, so, I mean, uh, we creative people need creative mirrors around us. So thank you so much for being the creative mirror for me. Komal, you, the fantastic poet, you've never mentioned once. You are a fabulous poet yourself. And Asha, thank you so much. I, 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 I am good company and I, I feel stronger today as an artist. Well, thank you all. I echo the same. Ditto. <laughs> so much for a poet. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think we need to meet in person soon. Definitely. <laughs> all, all your right. books, poetry and coffee. Yes, yes, absolutely. So take care, everybody. Good night, good day, wherever you are. We'll see you next week.